Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I just want to encourage you to pick up the booklet as well, Who is Jesus? Exploring the I Am Statements. Wonderful booklet, just for your own personal Bible study, or if you are in a small group, which is a great uh, idea. If you aren't in one, please do join one and study uh, the passages in John together with your group and discover anew who is Jesus, or maybe for the first time, who is he? What kind of bread did you eat this week? If you walk up my street, you can find Turkish bread, you can find Mexican tortillas, a little farther up the street, Borshan bread, Ukrainian bread, you can find naan. You have a whole buffet of options before you. What kind of bread did you eat this week? Bread's a a staple in many cultures. It's essential to people's diet. For many people, it represents sustenance. It It represents satisfaction, life. That word sustenance, it comes... It's rooted in sustain. Sustain means to to undergird, to uh, support, to hold up, to strengthen in spirit, mind, and body. So what sustained you this week? What gave you life? In our text today, Jesus will ask his followers, what kind of bread do you want? And the conversation that he has with them, it shocks them and it will surprise some of us. In order to understand the conversation that Jesus has with his followers, we need to understand the context. We're in John chapter 6 today. If you read the first chapters of John, the first 11 chapters, you'll discover that there are seven signs, seven signs pointing to something. The first one is water changed into wine. That's chapter 2. In chapter 4, an official son is healed. In Chapter 5, there's a a lame man, an invalid beside the pool for 38 years, and he's healed. A third sign. And then in chapter 6, there are two more signs pointing to something. As the chapter opens, the Passover is near. Jesus is with his disciples on a mountainside, the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, what's known today as the Golan Heights. And a large crowd gathers. They gather because they have heard about the miracles. They've, some of them have seen the healings themselves. The men numbered about 5,000 with women and children, probably a crowd of about 20,000 people. Jesus says to one of his disciples, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Philip happens to be from Bethsaida. That's the, the town nearby. And so it would be natural to ask Philip, okay, in this region that you know, where's the bread? He puts Philip up against the wall of impossibility. Okay, we've got a crowd here, hungry people. What will you do? Where's your confidence? Have you been pushed up against the wall of impossibility this week? Was there a moment when your faith was tested? And in that moment of testing, where did you find life? What sustained you? What kept you going? Philip says, listen, Jesus, 200 denarii would not buy enough food for all these people. In other words, Jesus, if I worked for eight months straight and saved my earnings, I wouldn't have the money necessary to feed all these people. And then Jesus turns to another disciple, Andrew. And Andrew has five loaves 
and two fish. He found a young boy carrying them. Barley loaves. Barley was food for the common people. And the message is, okay, even this, insignificant. In light of the need. And Jesus, he takes those five loaves, those two fish, and he just turns to the Father and he gives thanks. Why does he give thanks? Because he's got 20,000 people in front of him? He gives thanks because he knows that the Father holds all things in his hands. He knows that the life of the crowd depends on the Father, and the Father is able to provide. So he gives thanks and he distributes the bread. The bread is distributed. All of the people eat, they eat until they're satisfied. And then the 12 disciples go out with their baskets and they pick up enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Evidence right before each disciple that God is more than able to provide. The crowds, they've been waiting for a Messiah and they recognize this sign to be messianic. You see, they were waiting for a Messiah that would give them bread from heaven. There was this Jewish midrash, a Jewish commentary on the law of Moses that said that there was a Messiah that would come who would bring food down from heaven just as Moses brought food down from heaven in the wilderness. They remember Deuteronomy chapter 18, which talks about a prophet to come like Moses. Some are so convinced that Jesus is that prophet that they take him and they want to declare him king. See, they love the food, they love the miracles. Even better, if Jesus is the Messiah, then he's our deliverer. He can free us from Roman oppression. And Jesus walks away to be alone. It's not God's way. It's not God's timing. The people, they've seen the sign, but they haven't understood. Disciples are now alone. So they get in a boat. And they start to head back to Capernaum. That was a journey of about 8 to 10 kilometers. Halfway across the sea, the weather turns. And suddenly they find themselves in a storm. Jesus, who has been alone on the mountain, he comes to them. Just He's not in a boat. He's walking on the sea. And the text says that they were terrified. They were awestruck. Who is this that walks on the water? Who is this that feeds the multitude. And Jesus says to them, it is I. And that phrase could be translated, I am. It alludes to Exodus 3.14 where the Father reveals himself to Moses as, I am who I am. I just am. <laughs> I, divine, I, I define what it means to exist. All things depend on me. I am who I am. I am is walking on the water. He's always present. Sometimes in the middle of the storm, we forget that he is present. In that moment when we feel vulnerable, when we feel like our our boat is going to sink, that life is going to fall apart, we doubt whether the I am is present, but Jesus is always present, the I am. And so he says to his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's sovereign. He's over all things. He can calm any storm. And in verse 21, we read that the boat immediately reached its destination. What sustained you this week? Where did, where did you go for bread? 
As we read the text, remember that the crowds have seen signs. They go looking for Jesus. They, when they realize that, okay, the disciples went across the sea in a boat. Jesus wasn't with them. Where is Jesus? Some, some boats come across the sea from Tiberias. They get in those boats and they go to Capernaum because that's now Jesus' hometown. And when they find him, according to verse 59, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching. It's Passover time and so... Maybe Jesus is actually reading in the synagogue on that day, Exodus chapter 16, which talks about the manna coming from heaven and feeding the people of Israel in the wilderness. In the conversation that ensues, Jesus will ask the question of the crowd, what kind of bread do you want? Let's read it. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So the crowds find Jesus in Capernaum and they ask him the question, Rabbi, when did you come here? And note that Jesus doesn't answer their question. He goes right to their motives. He says to them, hey, you're here not because you understood the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You had enough food to eat. You were satisfied. That's why you're here, for the physical benefit. On the mountain, they had eaten all they wanted. They want another day of bread, another miracle. They've seen the sign, but they haven't understood. And Jesus says to them, don't go after the food that perishes. Jesus says, the bread of this world will never endure. So again, where did we look for sustenance this week? Where did we look for life? There are so many different breads that are offered to us. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll say that sometimes our bread is our job, a secure job. That's what sustains us. Sometimes for us, it'll be our intelligence or our education. That's where we rest. That's what we depend on. Sometimes we'll say it's our financial savings, it's our bank account, our pension fund. That's what secures my life. Sometimes we'll, we'll say, well, it's, it's this relationship that actually gives me life. It's my family. For some, it's religious practice. The Jews, they looked at the law of Moses and they said, well, this is our bread. If we live by this, if we observe it, then we have life. What was the bread that sustained us this week? Verse 7, Jesus encourages the crowd to labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Don't work for that bread that satisfies for a day. Don't work for that bread that spoils. Work for the food that endures. That can truly sustain you forever. People misunderstand Jesus' statement and they ask in verse 21, 28, well, 
What's the work that we should do? Just tell us what we should do and we'll do it. The good work, the religious practice. What does God want? We're up for the challenge. And Jesus responds, the only work that God requires of you, it's very simple, it's very straightforward. Believe in me. (laughs) Believe in the one the Father has sent. Trust me. Jesus says something significant. He says, the seal has been placed on me. The Father has set his seal on me. If you read through the first chapters of John, you see the Father placing his seal on Jesus, authenticating him over and over again. At that time, a seal, it was made of wax or clay or metal, and it was used to authenticate a document or an item. Jesus has been sealed by the Father. How? Well, through the five signs that have already been witnessed. Through the Old Testament scriptures, he says in chapter 5, Moses himself spoke of me. Through the witness of John the Baptist, through the witness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had been authenticated before them over and over and over again. In verse 30, surprisingly, they ask for another sign. Jesus, authenticate yourself again. Don't we do the same thing? I find myself doing this. In the middle of a storm, when I feel vulnerable, when the winds are blowing, the sea is raging, Jesus, prove to me again who you really are. Despite a long history of God's presence, his grace, his power, throughout the history of the church, so many evidences of who Jesus is, or even in my own life, God revealing himself to me over and over again through the scriptures, through life's experiences. And yet, in the middle of a storm, I fail to trust. Remember, it's Passover time in Israel. In verse 31, the crowd remembers the people of Israel walking through the wilderness and they expect Jesus to be or the Messiah, to be a prophet like Moses. Moses gave them bread from heaven for 40 years. Not just a one-day miracle. So Jesus, if you are that prophet, or if you are greater than Moses, then how about bread today and a lifetime guarantee of bread? Verse 32, Jesus reminds them that Moses never gave them bread from heaven. It never was Moses. That Jewish commentary that they're following, it's actually wrong. If you read Exodus chapter 16, it's the Lord, God himself, that gave bread to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And Jesus says the true bread of God, it endures to eternal life. It gives life now, today, forevermore. It's infinitely superior to the manna given to Israel in the wilderness, the bread of God gives life to the world. So what kind of bread do you want? Do you want the food that satisfies for a day and then perishes? Or do you want the food that endures to eternal life? Sometimes we deceive ourselves with this kind of thinking. Well, in this phase of life, I'm just going to go after this bread for a time. And then, when I get what I want then I'll take the bread that Jesus offers. Right now, I just want to realize this dream. And once I get what I want, then I'll consider the offer 
that Jesus makes to me. And we keep living that way. We go from experience to experience. We, okay, today it's a job. Now it's a relationship. Now it's a, sport, a sporting event giving me life. And we walk that way right to our death without receiving what Jesus truly offers. The people, they hear Jesus speaking. They say, oh, well, just give us this bread from heaven always. They're not ready for Jesus' answer. <laughs> They're not ready for what Jesus will say to them. He's, He initiates a talk, a discourse that shakes them. Let's read it. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who's the bread? (laughs) Jesus speaks so plainly, I am the bread of life. He says he is the bread of God that satisfies our hunger. This is the main point of the chapter, the main point of the message, the main point of what Jesus is saying. I'm the point, Jesus says. He reveals that out of love for the crowd. He is the only one that can nourish their spiritual hunger. That core hunger pain, the only one that can satisfy that is Jesus himself. That thirst in their soul, the only one that can quench that thirst is Jesus himself. What he says to the crowd is, hey, if you come to me, you will be satisfied. You won't need to go after those other breads, that food that perishes. They've seen Jesus, but they haven't believed. They've seen the bread. They've seen the power. Their appetites have been aroused. Their curiosity Their ambitions aroused, but not their faith in Jesus. Sometimes we know we need bread. And we even think that Jesus might be able to get that bread for us. We believe that what we really need is a job. What we really need is more money. What we really need is a relationship. What we really need is healing. And so we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you just get this for us? We use Jesus to get what we want. But the core question in this text is, do we want Jesus? You see, we don't need more money for life. We don't need another degree for life. We don't need that person that we think we need in our lives for life. What we need is Jesus. Jesus can give all of those things that we think about in his grace, in his blessing. But the key point is, what we need is Jesus. He is the bread of life. This crowd, their motivation is all wrong. And often we come to Jesus the same way. Often we come to Jesus for the, for the wrong reasons. And so what will Jesus do here? Will he just walk away from the crowd in Capernaum? Does he give up on us? 
Verse 37, the lack of faith of the crowd doesn't deter Jesus. He's confident in the Father's plans. He wants nothing more than the Father's will to be done. He wants to see his kingdom come. He wants to see those people given to him by the Father, saved for eternity. We can count on Jesus. Even when our motivations are wrong. Judy and I, we, when we got married, we didn't have a lot of money. We were students. And so we found this uh, bakery school where we could buy dozens of cinnamon buns for $2. Great deal. The only problem was that sometimes the buns would rise and sometimes they wouldn't, depending on what the students had done. We couldn't count on that bread. Cheap, but we couldn't count on it. We can count on Jesus. He came to give life now and forever. He is determined. Jesus is determined to never lose what the Father has given him. He can be trusted. Do the crowds want this bread? Back to the text, John 6, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven. They grumble, they complain among themselves because they know where he's from. They know his father and mother, his siblings, his hometown. How can Jesus say that he came down from heaven? The, their grumbling, it reminds us of the pattern in the wilderness where the people of Israel, they grumbled before they received the manna, they grumbled after receiving the manna. It's not unusual for people to grumble when they hear the bold claims of Jesus. Je- Jesus, what are you saying? What do you mean, I am? What do you mean, I am the bread of life. How can skeptical, self-interested people like us come to Jesus? How is that possible? Jesus continues in verse 43. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says no one can come to me. That means no one is able to come to me. No human person has the moral capacity, the spiritual power to come to Jesus without the help of the Father. The Father must draw. And this drawing of the Father, it's not forced belief. We're not coerced into believing in Jesus. It's the wonderful wooing of a loving God. People are drawn to Jesus by God the Father. The Father initiates. No one comes to Jesus because by his own righteousness, by his own willpower, by his own wisdom. This has already been mentioned in verses 37 and 39 where those who come to Jesus are given by the Father. Anyone who has come to Jesus sees behind his or her willing decision to follow Jesus, the invisible, the sovereign, the wonderful work of God, God drawing them to Jesus. 
R.H. Lightfoot has written, So long as a man remains and is content to remain confident of his own ability without divine help to assess experience and the meaning of experience, he cannot come to the Lord. He cannot believe. Only the Father can move him to this step with its incalculable and final results. So how will the crowds be drawn to Jesus? How does it happen for us? Well, verses 45 and 46 reveal that. It's through the teaching, through the hearing, the learning, the seeing. You see, Jesus, through his presence, through his teaching, he's fulfilling Isaiah 54, verse 13, which is quoted in the text, and they will all be taught by God. For the crowd to hear God, they must hear Jesus. Jesus is revealing the Father. John chapter 1, he has made the Father known. If they want to see God, they must look at Jesus. God reveals who he is most clearly through the life and teaching of Jesus. And so if we want to know the Father, if we want to discover the bread of life, then we must come to Jesus and read his teaching. What better thing to do than to read the Gospel of John? What better thing to do than to join a small group and study the I Am statements of Jesus? What better thing to do than to join a Discovering Jesus class and discover who he really is? It's there for us. God draws people to himself through the life and teaching of Jesus by his spirit. And then we recognize a corresponding truth that's taught with equal vigor in this text. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Jesus promises to receive everyone who comes to him, everyone who believes in him. To come to him means to believe in him, to trust him. And those who trust him will never be rejected. We should never have the thought, well, what if I come to Jesus... And I want to trust him, but he rejects me. No, the clear teaching of the text is that he will receive all who come to him, all who believe in him. We hold to these two truths at the same time because they're taught with equal vigor in the scriptures. God's sovereignty, the Father drawing people to Jesus, and people responding, coming, believing. To receive the bread of life, we must come to Jesus. How can we trust Jesus for eternal life? How can Jesus make this offer to us? Well, it's in verse 51 at the end. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. For the life of the world, that word for means on behalf of. Jesus will give himself as a substitute. He will die in our place. He will take our sin upon himself and pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay on our own. The body of Jesus was broken on the cross so that we might have the bread of life. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, the bread symbolizing the body of Jesus, broken for us. The body of Christ had to be broken, his blood shed, so that our sins might be forgiven. Jesus had to pay the price. He had to make the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that we could never make, so that the way to the Father would be open, so that we might receive forgiveness of sins when we place our trust in Jesus, when we come to him and believe in him as our Savior and Lord. And he regenerates us. We're reborn to live now and forever. He is the bread of life. In his conversation with the crowd, he invites them to come and believe eight times. That was a hard day for the crowd. 
On that day in Capernaum, many disciples walked away. The majority. They just could not accept his teaching. They just could not believe that he was the bread of life. And so they no longer walked with him. And of course, the question for us every day is, will we walk with Jesus? Will he be our bread of life? In verse 67, he asks his 12 disciples, those closest to him, will you walk away as well? And Simon Peter responds in this way in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. May that be our confession. Many of you will remember Pastor Carlin who pastored here. And there was a day when he and Marcia discovered that Marcia had cancer. And the diagnosis was not good. And Pastor Carlin told the story of his daughter coming to him and saying, So, Dad, do we trust Jesus today? And Pastor Carlin responded with the words of verse 68, To whom shall we go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. So may this be our confession. May this be our song. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. On the day when business is going well, give me Jesus. On the day when I'm struggling and I don't know where the finances will come from, give me Jesus. On the day when I'm full of life and I feel strong, give me Jesus. On the day when I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer, give me Jesus. On the day when I'm alone, give me Jesus. On the day when relationships are full and full of joy, give me Jesus. You can have all the breads that the world wants to offer. Give me Jesus. And on the day when I die, Give me Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we thank you again that you, out of your infinite grace and mercy and love, sent Jesus. As your word says, Lord, there's no one that seeks you. And none of us have come to you because of our righteousness. It's, it's been all you, Lord, drawing us. Thank you. Those of us that follow you, Lord, we're filled with gratitude. Thank you for drawing us to, to yourself. Thank you that when we get sidetracked, when we're distracted, you draw us back by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your faithfulness. And so, Lord, may we look to you this day, each day this week, for the rest of our lives, Lord, may you be our bread. And for those, of, those in our audience today that don't know you, Jesus, I pray that this would be the day that they come to you and they believe that they entrust themselves to you as their Lord and Savior, as their bread of life. Lord, I pray that they would respond to your gentle, sovereign wooing, your loving call. 
May this be the day of salvation for them. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.